Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, you hear a lot of stories about successful business people who wax lyrical about how they managed to build a multi-billion dollar company. But I'd say the majority of us who are in business, our path is a lot muddier. If you met Amy Stan a decade ago, you would not believe that she gets up at 3.30am today. She spends three hours journalising how she wants her today, her tomorrow and her future to be. In her own words, Amy says she was a brat teenager growing up in Lilydale, Victoria, which got her eventually expelled from the local private school. And for a while after, Amy felt a bit lost, but then she decided to head off to TAFE and get a trade, (laughs) believe it or not, as a plumber. Not too many people would make this choice, but this took Amy right out of her comfort zone and gave her the confidence and ownership of her own path. These days, it's a stark difference to how she approaches a business life as the co-founder of Tiny Stays. Amy and her brother, Ben Stanton, decided to launch a tiny home business as a way to help people get off the grid. Take a break from your busy lifestyle and go back to nature for a few days. Just simplify it. Each tiny house is furnished with all of the essentials and creature comforts that you would expect to find in a boutique hotel. Amy found scalability in scaling down. It's a great business story, so let's get into it. Amy Stanton, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. I'm real keen. Sweet. Now, where are we doing this from? Like, I'm in Melbourne, uh, Cranbourne South, beautiful Cranbourne South in Melbourne. We've just got out of lockdown, so I'm stoked about that. It's all happening over here. What are you looking forward to doing most? It's actually funny because all of Melbourne, this is how I picture it, all of Melbourne have been so keen to get out of lockdown, go do things. And now I ask all my mates, oh, let's go do this. Let's go do this. And they're like, nah, too many crowds. I'm just going to stick at home. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. Totally. Uh, well, it's funny. And I was driving in early this morning and I was driving into the PCYC or a train today and uh, like it was at 5.30 in the morning. My God, the traffic was crazy. And I remember only like three weeks ago, maybe when we were in lockdown, there was no traffic. It was beautiful. And um uh, Sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, now we wish for it. We we got it. Now we've got to try and enjoy it. Okay. Where did Amy Stanton grow up? So I grew up in Lilydale, Victoria, with my beautiful family. Mum, dad lived the life. had a had a great relationship with my parents until I probably hit high school, and I became a little brat of a human being. I was very um. I was always just trying to fit in, Mark. Like I was always trying to do things as you 
do in school to impress people and anything like that. Like someone would say, oh, Amy, can you do this? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it to impress. So it actually led me to go downhill spiral, ended up getting depressed, all that, um, got expelled from school. This stage. What age? Uh, 16. 16, I got expelled. What did you do? <laughs> well, it was kind of a build-up of a few things, but one of the things that it kind of, it, talking about that whole peer pressure thing, we're in science class once and um, you know how they do the the walk-arounds with the, the school kids and that the parents come and they want to show to see if the kids want to come to that school after they finish grade six. And um, there was about, Oh, there was probably about 30, 40 of them, the parents, the kids and the teachers. And I was in science class and we have these big windows look down and one of my friends was like to me, Oi, Amy, you wouldn't moon them, like pull your pants down. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. why would I do that? Like I wouldn't do that. They're like, so then someone came in and said the old Amy would do it. And obviously saying that, I'm like, all right, I have to do it now. Pulled my pants down, mooned all these kids, their parents, everyone coming. <laughs> um, that led me to just the start of a downward spiral of just doing fun things at school, like pulling fire alarms, getting everyone pretending there's a fire. And then one thing after another, we I think the thing that set us over the edge, me and my friend, we got our friends to come into the school and pretended they were exchange students. And that didn't go down too well. So... Yeah, we were asked to leave. On reflection, uh, going back, do you think that we do those sort of things because not just trying to fit in but we're trying to um, impress cohort of friends? Yeah, I think it's that constant approval of I think through primary school I was a very quiet person, never really had much of a say, but then when it got to high school I just kind of clicked and I went to the one that, you know, always wanted to be the centre of attention and not always in the good way. That might be doing bad things. Me and my best mate, Steph, were pretty bad influences on each other. And I remember this, like, it got really bad. My maths teacher told me and looked at me and said, Amy, if you don't lift your game, you're going to end up as, as a stripper on the streets. And, I, and at that stage, I just had no, I thought I was stupid I didn't really have anywhere to go to. Like my parents were so supportive and stuff, but I just thought I was dumb. I was in English too, didn't know what to do. So I was just didn't care. Just a classic teenager attitude of I don't care. I don't care about life. I'll do what I want. It is classic. And I think there's more people who experience that than you would think. And I don't know about girls because I went to an all-boys school and, I, and I've only ever had all sons. So I don't, I've never experienced females in that environment. I assume it, it cuts across both sides. As you said, you had a good family. Your mum and dad are great. It wasn't if they were a couple of alcoholics and they were beating shit out of you or something like that or you grew up, you know, with one parent on the street or something. I mean, you had a fairly good relationship with your parents by the sound of things. And But it's amazing what peer pressure can do to us, not only as young people but as older people too. I mean, people do it in business all the time. But it's amazing what we do to, to get attention and, in fact, we're being encouraged to do that today with Instagram, et cetera, um, and all the various platforms. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. What would you say to, and you're an older, more mature person now, what would you say to young 15-year-old Amy if, if you, you, know, you observed her back then? I would say to her, you don't have to be the smartest kid in the class to succeed in life. 
you need the grit, you just need the grit, the determination and the ambition, which I did have at the time. I was just using it in all the wrong places. And I was more thinking, or if I'm not, I said, I can't even say the word academic. Like I was so out of that. I just thought I couldn't be anyone if I didn't know how to read and write and do all this stuff that people were doing in my class. So just use what you have and own it and go but, out and be yourself. Well, I mean, you don't come across as someone who's dumb. I mean, your 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 speech pattern and your uh, speed of speech and language you're using and et cetera is, indicates um, to me that you're a normal, normal person and that you're not suffering from something. So why is it you were so bad at things or why did you think you're so bad at things? Yeah, well, I think that was the thing because I wasn't suffering from ADHD or I didn't have dyslexia and – I would always look at like my brother who was really smart and like book smart and but I knew I was street smart and I knew like I was very creative but I don't know when you don't I just didn't want to try as well and I always think probably I could I could have smashed out those grades if I want it was very weird because when I went from getting expelled to moving schools to an environment I actually liked the teachers were a lot more lenient. I was enjoying the environment. I went from the year before getting ease and failing everything to then in business management deciding maybe one day I could be one of these uh, big kahuna people and, you know, start up my own gig. So then the next year I went to getting A pluses and A's purely because my head switched. And I'm like, you know what, maybe I could do this. And then that, you know, then you work harder and you get it done and you're not as dumb as you think. <laughs> None of us are as dumb as we think, I don't in my view. It's a bit all of a sudden something stimulated a 16-year-old Amy to start to believe in herself. Mm. That's a pretty important thing, especially in business. I mean, you in business you have to be able to believe in what you're doing um, and believe in your ability to execute on that. And this applies in business as well. Do you think it's sometimes business we need to, you know, get an uppercut and fail? We then try to prove to ourselves that oh, fuck that, I can do this. Or you know, was it the shock of being booted out, and then think, shit, I've got to get got to get back together, um, or was it just having a better environment around you, or a bit of both? Because I think, because you know, everyone like every time you go to raise money, one of the things investors always say is, have you ever failed in business? I mean, I was asked that question with my wizard business before my big investor came in. There's nearly like they want to see, see that you nearly failed or you've nearly fallen flat on your ass, yeah, and then you've been able to pick yourself up. Um, how important do you think it was for you to actually get booted out? Because you could have kept going on and on and on and just get, and not get booted out and maybe never had that wake-up call. Oh, it was probably one of the main things that shaped who I am today and I'm not just saying that. I am constantly, like my main thing is failing and I fail all the time, like every day because I put myself out there all the time and moving to that school and being in that different environment yes I still didn't know what I wanted to do I still was kind of in that mindset of trying to impress people I you know I my teachers would ask what I wanted to do and I ended up just doing beauty therapy because my friends were doing it because I still didn't know who I wanted to be but I was starting to realize yeah no I can do this and it was the people around you showing that you don't have to go down the normal pathway and there's plenty of opportunities out there it doesn't have to be go to uni get a job 
blah, 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 all that white picket fence stuff, you can do it in different ways and that's what made me excited to get out there and give it a crack. You did beauty therapy. You Did you work in the beauty therapy industry? No, I studied my my um, Cert 3 or something at the time and that was to get me through to year 12 and then I completely had a sea change. I'm like, no. I was literally just doing it to keep uh, the careers teacher happy because she – I. Cause she wanted me to decide on something to do, and I'm like, oh, I'll just do that. I'll just do that. And then, um, but I knew that that wasn't my gig. So what did you do then? Well, then I became a plumber. Randomly, I basically my dad's a builder, and I remember I'm very stubborn, Mark. And I remember someone saying to me, "Oh, you know, girls can't be tradies," and I'm like, I'm like, wait. I'm pretty hands-on. I'm like, I reckon I could, that would be a good gig for me. So I went and did my pre-apprenticeship, you know, rocked up in the pink socks, the blonde long hair, got looked at like I was <laughs> very odd. And then um, after that I went out and I applied for over 120 jobs and heard back from none of them in the plumbing industry. And at that point I was like, oh, well, maybe it isn't for me. But I look back now and I realise it wasn't because I was a woman. It was literally because I probably had a million spelling mistakes on my resume, didn't follow up, call them, didn't try any harder, just sent the email off and then I'm like, oh, it's because I'm a girl. And But I did get one job, so it's all good. As what? As a, In plumbing? In plumbing, yeah. So got, got a gig as an apprentice plumber, which was good, rocked up first day and after getting knocked back by so much – it just built built this determination in me and, it you know, it just gives you leverage. When you keep getting knocked back, you can either quit and then go cry in a hole that you're a girl and they don't want you on the job site and, you know, you can't lift enough or you can go out there and give it more and give it all you got. And even on my first week of work, it was like the week of hell. I got, like, I got my head stuck through a scaffold. I got a piece of metal stuck in my butt. I crashed my car through the job site fence and I went home and I'm like, yeah, shit, man, this is a tough gig. <laughs> but um, it, it all went uphill from there and you just got to enjoy the ride, enjoy the ups and downs, learn, ask bosses what's going on and, yeah, put in 110% and that's what I did to get me through my apprenticeship. Oh, you got through the apprenticeship? <laughs> you did the, the plumbing? Yeah. I. So you're a plumber. Yeah, I'm a plumber by trade. I've been a plumber oh, probably eight eight years now so but I knew when I started off that all right I'm going to get a trade under my belt and then after that go out and chase my dreams. How much influence were your parents in in saying to you come on Amy you've got to get some sort of qualification as a tradie at least as a tradie or something or do they do they just say go for it you do what you got to do? Well they kind of just that they were keen for whatever I wanted to do because, you know, something is better than nothing. I don't know if they thought, like, if they thought I knew some of my mates probably thought, oh, this is just a blow-in, like she'll do it for a few months and then give up. But um, they were, I did work with Dad on the tools earlier and I was trying to get experience. And, yeah, I've, my parents are so good like that, but, a lot of people actually, they always ask me, they're like, oh, why, why did you become a plumber? Like what made you become a plumber? And till a few months ago I was like, I don't know, was it because I just like dealing with shit? Like I, 
I, I honestly don't know why I became a plumber. And then I thought back to when I was younger, me and my dad, we used to go camping together. And after that, we'd go to the servo to get an ice cream. And this one time I, I picked up a Magnum, you know, the, yep. yep. And dad looked. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah, they're, they're bloody great. I tell you that. My dad looked at me, he said, you can't get that, Ames. And I'm like, what, why? He's like, that's a plumber's ice cream. Only plumbers can afford magnums. And he's like, look me in the eyes and said, in this house, we eat frosty fruits. So I think from that point in time, I had it in the back of my head. I'm like, all right, these plumbers, they must make good money. They have to deal with poo, but they can afford all the magnums in the world. <laughs> a plumber had to come out of my joint the other day to do something in my sewage system. And, uh, and I thought, mate, fucking hell, like uh, you deserve every dollar. I don't give a shit what the fee was. I hope he's not listening because he hasn't sent me the bill yet, but you deserve every dollar you're going to charge me. I actually went in – it's funny. I went inside my house and got a, a jar of honey that I made at my farm, didn't that come from my farm from my own beehive, and I gave it to him. I just felt – my God, what a sh- what a, <laughs> shit what a, pardon the pun, what a shit job. Like uh, it's, it's a fucking hard job. Like uh, even my bloody dogs didn't want to go near where the pit was, you know, it was because he had to replace a pump. And uh, my dog is wanting to go there. That's telling. They're saying something. And it, it's actually, you know what? It's it's quite brilliant. Like you know, a woman, a plumber, um, uh, is a, a tradie, um, redemption from you know being a, a wild girl at school, you know, being booted out, knuckled down. I mean, you're do, you're doing some. You know, you gone from beautician to plumber, which like that's like diametrically opposed <laughs> and then you're talking telling me the story about you know what your dad said i mean you grew up in um lilydale yep that's like working class territory yeah you know like it's yeah and because and, i had a harry garside harry's uh i think his harry's dad was a tyler <laughs> and his mum was is a medium and they they're also from lilydale too or around that territory around that area yeah, I know them. do you know harry <laughs> My mum and Harry's mum are good mates. <laughs> yeah, cool. So it seems like um, maybe, maybe those sort of the salt of the earth people um, come out of those joints, and um, and that's a good thing because you just come across as salt of the earth. They just normal to me anyway. Really normal, down to earth person. You know, what I mean, you don't mind doing the plumbing job. Yeah, I mean, like it, a lot of people think, oh fuck that, it's, I'm too good for that shit. And uh, you do it. I wonder whether or not has had any impact on what you're doing today with, you know, um, hosting holidays in tiny, what they call tiny homes. Yeah. By the way, how did you get into this? Well. The new game. Basically after I finished my apprenticeship, I said, all right, going to go out, chase my dreams. I was, you know, in that, got that momentum. And I kind of, I honestly, I looked at some of the people in my work and I'm like, Look, plumbing's cool and everything. Yes, it's good coin, but I don't want to end up like I don't want to end up with the hurt back and this and that. That's not that's not me. I want to go out and, you know, find my passions, turn it into profit. So, I quit my plumbing job, my high-paid commercial plumbing job. I was actually I was still in that phase of impressing people like very materialistic. When I was 21, I'd bought a house with my ex-partner. I'd had a pet pig named Constable Crackles. I was buying magnums every day, Mark, like just living the life <laughs> of this materialistic plumber. Everyone would kind of look at my life. I know, will I think at 21 and be like, oh, look, she's living the dream. She has a house. She has an expensive car. She has a pet pig. Like 
she's got a commercial plumbing job but I was still nah this this isn't me like the I this is cool and everything now I've got my trade under my belt I'm quitting I'm selling everything we sold the house I moved back in with my parents rocked up on the doorstep with the pet pig dad wasn't too happy about it um, gave gave the pet pig to a farm and then um I basically said I'm gonna just sell everything and adventure for a bit I'm gonna do what I want to do so I did this I remember a few days before that I was at the pub and someone randomly brought up that I couldn't do this walk so I'm like all right I'm gonna walk from Melbourne to Canberra and then I'm gonna travel around in a van and then come home figure out what my passions are and figure out a way to turn it into profit. So a few years after of living the lifestyle of nothing, minimalist, traveling around Australia, my brother Ben, also at the same time, he was an accountant. He quit his accountant job in a big dog firm and went traveling overseas. And then after that period of our lives of having fun and not having responsibilities, we kind of touch base at home and we spent one night we're like let's do something like you know we get along we've been traveling together for years and like we both have different skill sets so we sat down and we wrote down our passions and they included you know off-grid and building and adventuring and kind of living that lifestyle connecting with nature and that's what got us to the point of why don't we start building tiny houses and renting them out to people who want to escape work, escape the daily grind, tell their bosses to boot off and just spend some time with their loved ones. And that's kind of how, how it all started. How old were you when you you made this decision to, to walk to Canberra from Melbourne and then go off, go, as you say, go off grid and just live a more simple life? Like that, that's a big call. You, as you say, you make good coin, you got a house, you got a bloke, you got a pig. <laughs> Oh, just quick, a quick story aside. When I about uh, oh, maybe fifteen years ago, I got a farm up north from Sydney, up north in New South Wales, and uh, George Clooney at the time was like, you know, like everyone was talking about him about fifteen years ago, this before he got married. And Clooney had a a pig, a little piglet, like a pet pig. He used to follow him around the house, and there was a lot of shit about it, discussions, videos, stuff. It was on television, I don't know, probably magazines in those days. So my boys bought me a pig for a Father's Day gift or something, our four sons, and they bought me a pet pig. It was a little pink pig about this big, this little cute little thing, piglet. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Because in those days I was was always hanging out at my farm all the time. So I thought, oh, we'll take the pig up to the farm. And and they like dogs, as you know. They're they're, they're very good pets Mm. Um, and quite obedient and smart. But this thing grew into a fucking beast. (laughs) I mean, it got to about like a hundred, oh, no, more, close to a ton, like a, what was that, a thousand kilos. Like it was massive. It was like about, it would be, it was started off pink and cute and turned, become black and white and hairy and ugly. And it was about a meter and a half long, maybe a bit longer, and about that same height and girth. It was huge and it just ate fucking everything it could get. It's like it was just got out of control. Uh, totally got out of control and uh, we had to put it outside and the farm we had to build a, an enclosure for it. It ate everything in the ground. It dug under the enclosure. It was chewing on trees. Uh, it was had an insatiable appetite <laughs> like you. I had to give my pig away. Uh, 
I ended up giving away to some bloke up in Byron who was uh, up in the uh, where they had this thing called Bangalore sweet pork. I don't know where he ended up, but on some probably on someone's plate. But anyway, uh, but uh, that was my little pig story on the side. But it's got nothing to do with what I we're talking it. about. Just sort of throw that because you just reminded me of it. But um, what age were you again? Sorry, I did ask the question. But I didn't. I was answer. twenty-one. No, when you when you when you made this sea change? Yeah, twenty-one. Like, you said you got twenty-one. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, so I was. That's a big call at 21. Yeah, I know. I was like on the back of, you know, just going out and getting pissed every weekend. And then it was like, just literally woke up. And I think everyone has these moments in life, these magical moments of like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? This isn't me. Some people have them on their deathbeds. Some people have them at 60 years old. I was so blessed and fortunate enough to have it at 21 years old. And when I did it, and when I was, I remember when I was, walking down that driveway with a backpack, roll of toilet paper and a Kmart tent. My parents were very worried and I turned to them and I said, I'm like, Mum, Dad, at least I'm not on drugs. I'm just going for a walk and living my life. And then they're like, yeah, fair point, fair point. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. So, Well, I'm going to go to the break and we're going to talk to our sponsors and we're going to come straight back because I'm going to talk about Tiny Stays after because to me um, – Tiny houses are one of the coolest things that there are. Not not because not because they're cool, um, you know, like trendy. I don't mean that. I mean it because the simplicity of it and why people want to uh, unpack the backpack and throw throw all the shit away, or at least experience it, and just get out of the city, get out of wherever it is, and, get, and go to somewhere really nice and fucking simple. Turning what you love doing into a business, which is what everybody wants to do if they can ever possibly achieve it, and you've done it. So we'll go to the break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Tiny Stays. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to The Mentor, and I'm here with Amy Stanton from a, a business that her and her brother have got or well, set up. It's called Tiny Stays, and I want to talk about Tiny Stays. But first, what it is that you get out of, one, what do you get out of creating these Tiny Stays? In other words, what's the experience that you get out of it, yourself, as a proprietor? And what do you and your brother bring to the table? Because, you know, he's an accountant, you're a plumber. How does that work? Yeah, definitely. I think because Ben and I both had those personal experience of, you know, 
throwing everything away and kind of going off grid for a bit and that adventure we got back and we're like we want to show other people this like you always I, I look at people in nine to five jobs that get you know one week holiday a year to go to bloody Queensland or something and I'm like guys like just take a couple of midweek breaks your company isn't going to go into liquidation if you just shoot off for a midweek break and turn your emails off for a day. I think that why of us getting up every morning and building these tiny houses and dealing with guests and cleaners and everything like that is purely to see the smile and the look on people's faces when they're connecting with their loved ones. So many proposals and things like that happen there. And yeah, we do say, you know, make sure you tag us on Facebook and Instagram, but then put your phone down and just enjoy time in nature connecting with each other rather than just all the bullshit and all the luxuries of life. Just enjoy it. You build these things, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ben and I are great because we're two different people but also get along really well. So Ben's the one who's kind of, yeah, the numbers and he's the puts in 110% and does so much research and, you know, carefully decides things but I'm the complete opposite I'm like yeah let's get it done let's hustle it just has to be outstanding doesn't have to be perfect and I'm just like the you know getting it done and he's like wait we need to look at these numbers this number I'm like all right all right I need to take a breather here okay I have an interest in tiny homes I've done a fair bit of research on like you know how you build them the cost and all that sort of stuff there's some technical concepts behind Tony Homes in that people can put them in their backyard if they've got enough room um, because it's not like just a big caravan on wheels, sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you, because a lot of people use them to get around, at least in New South Wales anyway, uh, council rules, you know, like you can't you can't build another house. So you put one of these caravans, basically a caravan, but it's a cool caravan. Like it's, you know, maybe eight metres long. It's 2.4, 2.5 wide maybe three and a half, four metres high from the ground, perhaps with a loft in it or something like that. They have steel frames. You know, How do you build all this shit? Like you've got architects designing it for you. I mean, how do you, how do you execute on this? The first one we built was purely we we call it Tiny Stays Headquarters, but really it's just my mum and dad's house in Lilydale where we build them. And we did, yeah, like you, we did so much research on what's going to work and we started building one everyone's kind of like comes to us like oh do you guys have plans can you build them for us like no we just kind of started we used a lot of um materials that we had left over from other jobs that dad had left over and just started creating something that was more purely for airbnb based so our tiny houses don't have a loft because we want you to experience the three huge windows that look out to the beautiful nature and the first one it just kind of came from nothing and building them at my dad's house, he helped a lot at the start, which is amazing. And then constantly as we go on, oh, shit, we need more storage here or that didn't work so well and adapting to what short-term accommodation want rather than building them to live in for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, I actually follow lots of um, Instagram accounts mm. um, with them and uh, I think they're fantastic. They look great. They, they look nice inside too, by the way. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen these, you, you should – start having a look at these tiny homes. For me, I tell it to everybody. What are the sort of the key components though that you're getting in terms of feedback back that the people love about it the most? I think people definitely love escaping the city and going in nature where it feels like no one's around, 
but we also place our tiny it's a pain in the ass looking for land for them because we want it to be completely secluded no one else around so they can enjoy the experience for themselves but also if they need to grab a six pack of beers or they need to go they want to go to a winery or a brewery they can you know only travel 10 20 30 minutes and they can be back in civilization so yes they can experience the off-gridness while they're there but yeah if they do want to turn it into a weekend where they're out at every winery we're that close that they can go experience that as well and I think our guests just love how different it is and even the small touches and also the communication we have with the guests and we do explain it's a journey it's a unique experience we have one in the beautiful Heathcote region where you have to climb this massive hill to get up to just all big rocks and boulders and it's just magical I don't find that when I go there anymore because I'm just going there to clean out the composting toilet or do that but but, um when you go there to stay for a unique experience we've just been overwhelmed with people just loving the time and just that that different air air in the country so your business model is that you build the tiny homes you build the, the accommodation and you find places where you can basically park one of these um, accommodation units and then you advertise however you advertise, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you market that to customers or consumers or guests who then will pick an area, they, as you just said, Heathcote, um, they'll go and stay in Heathcote. Well, we get inundated with people asking us to build them for them, but um, that's not our business model and we're like, why change it now? We're, we're sticking to something we know and we're doing well. Just keep doing that. So we rent land of farm owners, acreage, people who's got spare land in beautiful locations. And because they are off grid, you put the trailer there, you chuck on a water tank, you chuck on some solar, a few gas bottles, and they're completely sustainable. The landowners are happy. They're getting extra cash each month. We're happy. The guests are happy. So it's a Win, win, win. How many tiny homes do you have now in your in your um, you know group or your cohort of tiny homes available for rent? One of our things we started off doing, we've been quite slow within building them and getting them out because for us, we're at a stage in our business now where we can start smashing them out and we're thinking about getting someone else to build them for us so we can get more out. But it was all about those occupancy rates And we have four, which, you know, we're thriving to get them booked out 100% and then keep building and put them out because me and Ben both do other things. We're quite slow with the build process but constantly improving and getting there and building more. But at the stage we're like it's better for us to just go slow within this and get 100% occupancy rate, can't even say the word, but and then keep building on that. How do you find your plot of land? Or do people come to you? <laughs> we we get a lot of people come to us that's land isn't suitable. So we've had a lot of good adventures going out to land that just isn't suitable and right. I think our future business model, which me and Ben have been talking about a lot lately, yeah, it's great to build the tiny houses and rent land, but and it's great for c- cash flow. But if we want to think long-term with the business, what can we have? Tiny houses don't go up in value. Unlike a house, they go down in value because, you know, you're buying the land. So 
for us, I think we're going to look at, we're going to try and smash out as many as possible, but then look at buying our own land with, you know, a shitty little house on it. Renovate, we both have renovation skills. Renovate the house, rent that out as Airbnb and put a few tiny houses on. So then in the future, we're also growing revenue rather than just that cash flow happening and dealing with landowners all over the place. Yeah, that, that's cool. Because it's not a bad business model in the in the beginning to start off with it. Because basically, you build one of these things. Let's say, cost you on a fifty grand to build one, or forty grand to build one, and then you're renting it out, so you're getting cash flow to support the per, the cost. Whether you get it, get paid back in a year, or you get paid whatever the payback period is, or you might be borrowing money, so you can pay the principal and interest on the borrowing. Borrowing, and then over time, you should get a free cash flow out of the out of the asset on someone else's land. Then eventually, when you've got enough cash flow, you that you that allow you then to qualify to go and buy some land from a bank, a bank, or sorry, not buy the land from the bank, but get a mortgage from a bank and buy the land and put your tiny. You can take all your tiny homes away from everyone else's property, stick them on um, on one block of land, and then, um, as I said earlier, then start to increase the value of that land because you own both the tiny houses and the land. How do you get your customers? How do you market your business? Been pretty lucky. Ben and I both have a lot of experience on kind of Instagram and Ben's also a photographer, which helps a lot. It's great. Um, But at the start, we purely marketed it on Instagram. And also, I think there were things in between the cracks that lots of small businesses may look past is literally just going on Facebook groups of certain areas or certain niches of people and promoting on there and then they tell their friends and for us having such a unique thing to look at like a blue tiny house where everyone loves taking pictures of posting it on Instagram and showing their friends look where I'm staying that's basically doing a lot of the marketing for for us from there we went from being most of our business was through Airbnb generated through there. And now I think it's about 80% come through our website and book through our website because we've built a brand that isn't just, oh, there's another tiny house. It's also, oh, watch me and Ben build them. Look at us do this. And we've incorporated our personal brand into the brand to put the faces to the business. And I feel like we can relate to people more by doing that kind of thing and showing them the behind the scenes of how the business actually works. Because in so many cases, people just come out with these amazing businesses and go do all the hard work behind the scenes and they don't actually show people what it takes, how much determination and work it takes to get you there. And that's something I've been really all about lately. Like I've just started up a women's workwear brand and I'm like, you know what, marketing purposes I'm going to take them behind the scenes of what it's like to start up a business from scratch, take them on the ride, then they're invested in the business and when it comes out, they're already invested in what I'm doing. They've seen it from the start and I think taking people on the journey of behind the scenes, people love to watch that stuff. What do you think your teachers would say to you, the one who said you're uh, getting into becoming a stripper? Oh, um, if I saw if, if they saw you now. <laughs> but what do you think she say now? Because, I mean, here you are paying forward your experiences um, in terms of business to those who are interested to look. Um, here you are providing um, a really important experience, I think, a really important experience to people's otherwise ridiculously busy lives, particularly coming out of lockdown and all that sort of stuff. Like, And in a simplified version, like you're really sending everyone a message or allowing people to experience a message. For fuck's sake, you know, simplify your life. Hmm. Just get back to nature and do it easy. 
and uh, you're building a business with your brother. <laughs> I think she would be shocked, but it's comments like that that, oh, you're going to end up as a stripper or you're going to end up on the streets that make that make you be like, yeah, shove this in your face, bitch, look at me. Like, you know, it's sometimes the yeah. bad things that build that determination and you hear it day in, day out, people who's come from nothing and they've just gone that leverage on it and then it's like you just keep going and I think for me the one thing I hate seeing is I hate seeing people at work or businesses thinking they can't change it they complain about hating their job and thinking there's no way or if they've got they got kids or they can't do it and it's just like whether it's starting a business going for a walk whatever it is it's just like the foundations come down to life's an adventure from my perspective anyway, just go out, give it a crack. If it doesn't work, just constantly adapt to what's happening and just live in your own world, get shit done and just enjoy the ride. That's my main thing to whatever I'm doing. If it's starting up a business, if it's going on an adventure, it's all it's all an adventure to me and that's what makes life fun and the ups and downs and the problems and that attitude about everything being an adventure helps you deal with what a lot of people have is, oh, shit, I've, I've, I've already um, I've got a house, I've got this happening, and I'm sort of got a few assets. Um, people get fearful that these things, that they might be jeopardising these things by going on the adventure. I think fear is obviously the one thing that stops every single human being to reaching their full potential in a business or in personal life or whatever it is. And I think the moment I strip back to getting rid of everything that makes that I thought made Amy Amy the house the pet pig that the, the plumbing job and then just doing it for myself and I as much as I it's stupid I think of it like all the time and it may sound cliche but I'm like oh my god imagine if I just died or imagine I went through life just working this plumbing job and you just think all the things that you could have done and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't care if I risk it. I fuck up all the time and I literally fuck up then say, all right, now I know that's not the way to do it. Let's try another way. And as it is an adventure, it's learning. And for anyone who's kind of at that job or doesn't know, whatever it is they want to do and they want to try but they're just constantly in fear, it literally takes more energy to be fearful about what you're doing instead of just, ripping the Band-Aid off, giving it a crack because it will always work out as long as you just don't go back to where you were, as long as you're stepping forward, learning, adventuring and having fun because that's what life's about. Like business, lots of people take business so seriously, but I started my business to have fun and, you know, go out for brunch during the day, which I love. Like I can just literally go have brunch during the day. Like how cool is that? Even if you do make a mistake, um, it's an experience. I mean, if you let fear sort of dominate you, you tend not to do anything. That, that's all life's about is accumulating experiences at the end of the day, for me anyway. So therefore anything shit that's going to happen or when something shit does happen to me, like, you know, something yesterday really aggravated the shit out of me, like seriously aggravated me in my annual general meeting, like of one of the companies I, I'm a chairman of and I'm the biggest shareholder of like really aggravated me and and uh, normally I want to go home and grab the punch bag, punch the shit out of it. Um, but um, I didn't. I thought I, I just took a turn and I said, no, no, I'm going to look at it as part of my experience. It's something I've got to navigate my way around. Um, don't get too stressed out about it and just bank it as 
it's something you're experiencing. And some it's an experience that most people never get to in the corporate world ever get to experience. And more importantly, ever get to deal with. And more importantly, maybe I they will never get to conquer it either because they never got the experience in the first place. And I think that's that attitude that you have for such a young person took me a long time to work that shit out. Um is like a, a really big asset. I mean, I think that's fantastic you think that way. And to be frank with you, um, I get sort of semi-inspired by people like you um, who, you know, you remind me, make me think about the important things in the way you live your life. Um, it's it's important to think this way. And particularly when you get to my age, you tend to be a bit – you play defensive because you're defending your reputation, mm. you, you know, you're defending whatever you've accumulated because you keep thinking yourself, well, I don't have time to get all that stuff again. But it's all bullshit at the end of the day. I, I once saw a movie – I can't remember what it was called now – with um, – Richard Gere in it and um, he, 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 I remember in this movie he had a backpack on and he had to make a speech. He was a travelling salesman and he was making a speech to all the other travelling salespeople and for the company he worked and they were selling some sort of shit, I don't know what it was. And um, he lived his life in, in and out of motels and he did exactly what you did when you were 21. He grabbed it when he made his speech, he had he took his backpack off and he slammed it on the table. He just started taking stuff out of his backpack Basically, this, the symbolism of lightening your load, and uh, you know, just stop making yourself feel so burdened mm. with assets or commitments or obligations or stuff like that, and just live your life lighter. And which, but fuck me, that's what tiny homes are all about. By the way, if you got any questions for me, you got a question for me? I I do have one. Go as, for it. as you can see, I'm pretty fluffy and like ah, like very positive. But- I don't know about that. You are, but I don't know I'm not sure about that. I think you might have a lot more <laughs> so, substance to you than that. And I think this is a good one for lots of people in this time, but dealing with staff is <laughs> very hard when you're so nice. How do you deal, like keep that balance between, oh, hey, legend, how you going, best mates, and also like you're here to do a job? Well, I'm not that nice. That's the problem. Uh, it's the difference. Oh, I know. I, I look. I'll be honest here. I run a very strict environment for myself. So, on one hand, I I try to be approachable. I have the advantage of being much older, so that that that's a big advantage for me to start with. But I I make it pretty clear that whilst I'll be friendly and listen to you and blah blah blah, at the same time I'm the guy in charge. I'm responsible for all the shit that happens. I got to I got to find the money to pay the bills every week, so I make it pretty clear that there's a line, mm. and sometimes you get compromised. Um, I think today, these days, it's a lot harder to be honest with you. Like right now, in my Yellow Big Road business, you know, I'm what I'm being confronted with is, um, you know, of my hundred and odd people who work in my city office here in Sydney, um, a lot of them are saying, "Well, I don't want to come back to work. I like working from home." Um, my question is, "Well, hang on, I'm paying a million dollars a year rent." In this in this city office, you you fucking joking? Like, um, I'm not sure. They, they they might be productive. Who knows? But I still would like to see them, and I have to compromise. So I'm going to have to compromise. Um, and the compromise might be you come in four days and stay home two uh, one day. I don't compromise all the time. The message has got to come from you. Yeah, you're the boss. I mean, and that's, I don't want to say that in a bad way. It's it's not a, a celebrity apprentice episode because I think that stuff went out with button up boots. Okay. But at the same time, everybody has to understand where the line is and the only person who can set that line is you. Mm. If something gets fucked up, you're going to cop it, not them. Yeah. So, and they need to understand that. 
and, and you're prepared to do that for the business. And if you're not prepared to do it, there's no business. So everyone has to appreciate where that, that, how that operates. Love it. But you're young and, um, you know, it's more difficult when everybody's around, around your same age. I remember many years ago, and this is a rugby league story, but it won't therefore relate to people in Victoria, but, um, and, and especially someone like yourself. Um, and, but we, I, I'm on the board of a football club here at Sydney City, the Roosters, and, um, we had a very famous player who played for us. His name is Brad Fittler. And, uh, one year after his retirement, we appointed him as the coach because um, we had a few issues around the coach and we appointed him as the, the coach and he was coaching blokes who he'd been playing with like literally a year before. And it was very difficult for him to establish himself as coach whereas before he was captain and player. And it took him at least two years and after which we had to basically fire him, sack him because it wasn't working out. Fast forward to today, he's now the coach of the State of Origin side. He's a much more mature guy. He's... 15 years beyond where he was then, 10, 15 years beyond where he is. And now he's highly respected as a coach because he is, there's a distance between him being the same age as the players. Age is a problem. Mm. It's a big issue when you're very close in age. But there's not much you can do about it because you can't go and employ 10-year-olds. I mean, you've got to, you know, you're only 28. So you have to employ people around, around your age. You might even be employing people who are older than yeah. you. A bit of extra effort, a much more consciousness from your point of view. It gets done through movement, language, tone, actions, inactions, emissions, etc. You're going to have to pull pull together a whole algorithm of how you are towards everyone, but you set the tone. Love it. Amy, thanks very much. That was awesome. I, I just love talking about this topic. I love this topic mainly because of what it represents to me and it's a good wake-up call, so awesome. No worries. Thank you for having me. You can come stay anytime. We'll open up a few nights Thank here. you. <laughs> Thanks. Perfect. But- when well, when they let me back down in Victoria, I don't know if that's now or whenever, but I definitely will. I'll take you up on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good, Mark. You have a good one. And I'll put up on my Instagram. Legend. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.